Today, I want to focus in on Romans chapter 4 as we begin with looking at what the Bible says when it comes to works and faith, and specifically how, how do works fit into faith. And so Romans chapter, really the end of chapter 3, talks about this as well. Uh, but Romans chapter 4 talks a lot about this when it talks about the life of Abraham. And so I will start uh, just at the beginning of Romans 4 in verse 3. And I'll read some, I'll make some comments, I'll read some more. But this is as we think about the topic of works and faith and how they fit together and uh, how they affect our standing with God. And so Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now the one who works his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Uh, let me pause there. So there we see this clear statement of who is justified. Who is it that God looks at and says, that person is righteous, that person is forgiven, that person has salvation? Well, it's the person who has faith. Uh, it's not something we earn through doing enough good things, uh, but it's by believing. As we see, Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. It's the belief that led to his justification, his good standing, you could say, in the eyes of God. Uh, and then we'll continue reading here in verse 6. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count sins. And so here in this section, verses 6 through 8, we kind of get this description of what it means to be blessed by God and what it means to be justified. It means that our lawless deeds are forgiven, or to put it another way, our sins are covered, or to put it another way, God doesn't count our sin against us. So we, we really have sins. Uh, but when God opens the judgment books, all that sin doesn't go on our record. That's the blessing of justification, the blessing of uh, being forgiven, of being in this good standing with God. And we know that that is because of what Jesus has done on the cross, that those sins are real and they had to be paid for. But instead of us paying for them, Jesus paid for them in our place on the cross dying for my sin, for our sins on the cross. And so that's the blessing of justification. Whenever we believe that about Jesus, that he did that, he died for me, for my sins, so that I could be forgiven. That's when we receive it. Again, not through works qualifying us, but simply through belief. And so then let's continue verses 9 through 12. We read this. Is this blessing this justification, this blessing, then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised. 
For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So in these verses, we get this discussion about circumcision, but Paul is bringing this up because he wants to remind us how do works fit into salvation? He points out that Abraham wasn't saved. He wasn't justified after he got circumcised. In other words, he, God didn't tell him to do something and then he did it. And then God said, now you're saved because you've done this. Abraham simply believed God. And at that point, God said, you're justified, you're forgiven. And then later after that belief is when he obeyed, he was circumcised, right? And so that, that order is important. And that's what we see here in the scriptures that at the moment of faith is when we are saved and forgiven. And then obedience flows out of that. It comes after we're changed and saved by God. So that's a difference between us and other uh, religions. Uh, that's a difference between us and, as we'll look at, possibly some other denominations as well. Uh, so we think of Catholics specifically. God, uh, they'll state that God gives us grace, but then we cooperate with God's grace in order to have good standing or maintain good standing. But that's not what we see here in this passage, that our good works don't contribute to salvation but Jesus has done everything that's needed for us to be saved. And we rely on what he has done. That also is important because it reminds us Abraham actually did obey. It's not just he believed and he was set for life, right? But he believed, he was justified, and then he, he still obeyed. It wasn't as though, you know, he can just do whatever he wants now that he's been forgiven. No, he still follows God in obedience, in obeying him and if you know the life of abraham right he wasn't perfect but we do see him growing in his obedience throughout his life to the point where he's willing to obey god even if it would cost him his only son and so we see that obedience that real obedience in the life of abraham flowing out of this belief in god and so we're supposed to obey to keep the commandments of god and we do that because we are already his. We are already changed. We're already forgiven. We don't do it in order to, re to receive forgiveness. We don't do it in order to maintain our status as Christians. Like if we um, don't keep enough of the rules, then God's going to think less of us. And so that's important. We see that in this passage. And why are we talking about that this morning? This morning, as we continue and think about denominations and different denominations and what they believe and how it kind of compares with what we believe, uh, this morning we're thinking about a few denominations that have um, several 
focuses on rules you need to keep. That's kind of the connecting factor this morning. So I'm going to try to get through them. Uh, but this would be Seventh-day Adventists and uh, Mennonites and Amish. Um, I'm not technically sure if I should call the, all of those denominations or not, but that's a side topic. But we'll be talking today about Seventh-day Adventists, uh, Mennonites, and the Amish. Um, because all of them have uh, really a strong emphasis on things you need to be doing and obeying in their specific focus within their denomination. And so, uh, Seventh-day Adventists, we'll start there. A little history. Best I can tell, Seventh-day Adventists started in the mid-1800s as people began to start to take an interest in prophecy. Uh, not unlike today, people were thinking about end times prophecies, and there were a lot of people preaching about that then. And specifically, there were people connecting the events of those years, the mid-1800s, to the end times and the prophecies in Revelation. And so because several people uh, were identifying with that, they grouped together into what became known as Seventh-day Adventists. So it really does form out of that focus on prophecy about end times and events occurring. Uh, within Seventh-day Adventists, really one of the major um, identifications of them is that they keep the Old Testament law. Uh, they believe you should keep the Sabbath on Saturday. They believe that you should keep the dietary requirements in the Old Testament when it comes to not eating uh, seafood, which seems sacrilegious in Louisiana. Uh, how could you be a Cajun and not eat those things? But that's, you know, uh, not only shellfish, but all the, all the other dietary requirements in the Old Testament. Um, they would say you should maintain those. And so really, we'll see this repeated, but the main question when you're evaluating and when you talk to people from these denominations, the main question you want to ask or you want to think about is this. Are they saying that it would be wise to follow these things? Like it would be wise to follow the things we see in the Old Testament? Or are they saying that it is a requirement for Christians to follow these things? That's really the boiling down to the heart of the matter that you want to get at. Uh, so you would want to ask a Seventh-day Adventist if they just think it's a good habit and a good idea, maybe a wise thing to observe the Sabbath or to, to, to follow the Old Testament laws and what you eat, or is it something that as a Christian you need to do this? You must keep these requirements in order to follow God uh, well. And the answer to that question is really going to determine how the people in these denominations think about the gospel. Because, well, in this case, when it comes to Seventh-day Adventists, the Bible specifically tells us that we're not required to keep those Old Testament laws. Uh, you remember when um, in Mark chapter 7, Jesus was talking about the dietary requirements, right? And he said, it's not what goes into your mouth that makes you unclean, but it was what comes out of your mouth, what you say, right? And there's a little parenthesis there in that verse in Mark chapter 7, verse 19, that says, it's a clarification so we understand what Jesus is saying. 
By saying this, he declared all foods clean. Right? So right there we see that Jesus, by his teaching, is showing us that we're not required to keep the, the food laws of the Old Testament because Jesus himself has said, well, you're allowed to eat it. Uh, it's, that's not what makes you unclean. And you could say the same for the book of Acts when Peter has the vision of the, the blanket coming down with all the foods and all the unclean things on it, and God tells him to eat. Uh, the same point there being that those aren't outlawed, and God's using that as a, a point of reference to say, not only is the food not unclean, but you shouldn't view Gentiles as unclean either, that God can still uh, deliver them and save them as well. So we see that in those passages that it's not required for Christians to obey those rules. So that's why I say, if it's just you're saying it's a wise thing to do it, that's one thing. I mean, that's acceptable. Um, and then, you know, if other people disagree with you, it's a matter of Christian conscience. But if you're saying it's a requirement to do it, then that's saying something beyond what the Bible says. It's adding commandments to the Bible. And it's saying you need to do these extra things in order to really follow God. And really, when you phrase it like that, that's what Paul talks about in the book of Galatians, even here in Romans as he talks about circumcision. Whenever you add something of the law to what you need to do in order to be good in the eyes of God, you're, you're changing what it means to follow God, what it means to be a Christian. So that's one thing to think about with Seventh-day Adventists. They also have, a, like I said, a focus on prophecy. Um, their founders, William Miller, Ellen G. White, uh, were giving prophecies and even called prophets. Um, they have some interesting views on how authoritative their prophecies are. Uh, it depends who you read, but it would seem that they kind of elevate their prophecies to the level of Scripture. I think they rightly understand that prophets speak the Word of God, uh, but when they say that those people are prophets, they're saying they're actually speaking the Word of God, and so they uh, hold that up almost equivalent to what the Bible says. So that's questionable as well, although you see it explained differently. Um, but those are some things to think about when it comes to Seventh-day Adventists. Uh, and it's really the, the Old Testament law and, and prophecy are the kind of two main things you'll see that are different uh, from things that we think about and believe. Uh, let's move on to Mennonites. I'll kind of talk about Mennonites and the Amish together. They are very close. Really, the difference is the Mennonites came first. And they come from Minnow Simons, so Minnow, so Mennonites, that's where the name comes from. And he was way back in the, around the time of the Reformation, he was an Anabaptist, if you're familiar with who those people were in history. Um, and so he believed, uh, much like we do, that you should only baptize believers, uh, you shouldn't baptize uh, infants who aren't believers. And so that's their kind of root of where they come from, the Mennonites. And the Amish then kind of split out of the Mennonites, and they follow their namesake, Jacob Ammon. So Amish, Ammon, Jacob Ammon. 
And but really, depending on which uh, order or denomination within Amish and Mennonites, they're going to look pretty similar. If they're the kind of strict old order Amish Mennonites, they they really are about the same. So I'll talk about them the same. Mennonites have a much broader range. I mean, they're like modern evangelical Mennonites who you wouldn't even know are Mennonites unless they told you because they don't follow the traditional dress and things like that. And then there are the, you know, the things, the, the people, the stereotypical things we think of in our minds when it comes to Mennonites of um, not having cars, not using electricity, things like that. Amish are pretty much more on that stereotypical, traditional scale of things. They don't have the full range. So uh, when you get to those more traditional Amish and Mennonites, you know, they have the distinction of non-resistance. Uh, that would even apply to self-defense, generally speaking. Um, not just to war and military settings, but they would say you shouldn't fight back. When Jesus said, turn the other cheek, that's a literal thing that you should not even defend yourself. Um, they follow, you know, of course, the plain clothing, the modesty. Uh, they reject political involvement, generally speaking. Um, they have, uh, the, the women wear head coverings all the time. Uh, and they usually follow believer's baptism. They would say you need to be a believer to be baptized um, as well. Uh, they don't believe in oaths. And they follow, this is kind of the main thing, the distinction. They follow what's called an ordenung. I'm not sure I'm saying that right, but it's O-R-D-N-U-N-G. And it's basically like a rule book. So it's like an extra set of rules. Maybe it's written down. Sometimes it's just orally passed down through generations. But this is how you should live. So it's the, the ordinance, the ordenung is what it's called. And so that's really where a lot of these uh, traditions and extra emphases within Amish and Mennonites comes from of uh, their practices. And it all boils down to this. If you were to ask them, or if you were to look at the main verse, where does all this come from? Romans 12, 2 is their kind of theme verse, you could say. Do not be conformed to the world, uh, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And so that idea of do not be conformed to the world, that's really what's driving their practices, even in their non-use of electricity and things like that. They don't want to be a part of the world or corrupted by the things of the world. Uh, so again, with the Mennonites, that's kind of a picture, right, of who they are. And uh, maybe you've eaten their catfish from the, uh, from the Amish and Mennonites around or... Uh, you know, they've come down and they've helped with rebuild projects in the area. Uh, so maybe you have some familiarity with them. But again, the main thing to ask when it comes to Mennonites and Amish is the same thing we ask when it comes to Seventh-day Adventists or really anyone who has a strong emphasis on keeping rules. The question is, are they saying it would be wise to follow these things? Or are they saying it's a requirement for Christians to follow these things, right? So the Seventh-day Adventists, they were pointing to the Old Testament law and saying, hey, this is really important, probably a requirement. Well, the Amish are, and the Mennonites would have extra things outside of the Bible they would point to and say, these are really important, probably required in order for you to be 
Amish or Mennonite. Uh, that kind of brings up this interesting, interesting distinction, Amish and Mennonites, because it's not just a religion, it's also like a cultural thing. And so that, that helps, or that actually confuses matters a little bit when it comes to thinking about what they believe and what the practices are. But that's the core of it. Are these things just something are wise to do? Uh, or is it something you should be doing? Uh, in other words, if you're not doing these, you're probably not a Christian or you're not following God well. You're, you're not maintaining your good standing with God. And I think it's the latter when it comes to Mennonites and Amish because, generally speaking, they will say that you are no longer a believer if you leave the Mennonite and Amish practices. And so that, to me, says that these things are requirements for them in order to be a good Christian or to even be one, to be a follower of God. And so that's, but that's something to be aware of. Of course, there's variation with everyone. You want to just talk about that individually with people. Are these just wise practices that they're following, but there's Christian freedom? Or are these requirements that we have to follow in order to maintain our standing with God? And so that's kind of an overview and the main things. But again, whenever we get into situations where we think about good works and what we're required to do, we want to emphasize a couple things. We want to remember the Bible says obedience is important. Uh, it's not wrong to say that. It's not legalistic to say that. But we want to make sure that we're saying the commands that are in the Bible that we're required to follow. Uh, that we're not adding to them and saying these extra things are required for us to follow. Uh, because obedience really is important. Uh, Jesus said you will know them by their fruit that if you really are changed, you will live differently as a Christian, right? And so we want to remember that. But we also want to remember that in these extra matters of commands that aren't in the Bible, sometimes there's a lot of wisdom in them. But if it's not in the Bible, it, it really comes to a matter usually of Christian freedom. Like there's wisdom in it, but it may not be right for every situation. And we can't say that if you're not doing this specific thing, that you're not actually following God. Because it's not a command in the Bible. We can say that with the commands in the Bible, right? If you do it, you're following God. If you don't, you're not. It's pretty straightforward. But when it comes to these extra things those get into the matter of wisdom and uh, individual situations and Christian freedom. And so that's something to think about when it comes to uh, Seventh-day Adventists or Mennonites or Amish and what they believe.